like to invite you to a soul level encounter. Music has an incredible ability to proclaim the soul's language beyond what mere words can speak. That's what we seek as we invite our guests to share their song of the soul. You will hear the music that has charted the steps of their spiritual journey, that has provided a touchstone in the soul's dark night and sung the heart's awe and joy when come to the light. Over the next hour, you will be a witness and companion to our guest's spiritual path and sacred testimony. Welcome to Song of the Soul. This week for Song of the Soul, we've got an extraordinary and Grammy Award-winning singer with us, Lonnie Hall, and she's also the writer of a new book, Emotional Memoirs and Short Stories, as Lonnie Hall Alpert. The Alpert, sometimes affixed to her name, comes from her husband, the renowned Herb Alpert of Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass. Lonnie's first group was, however, Sergio Mendez and Brazil 66. So you're in for some great music and some fine storytelling from Lonnie Hall Albert. Enough music that we'll be putting a couple songs and their interviews on northernspiritradio.org as bonus excerpts. But right now, Lonnie is joining us by phone from Hawaii. Lonnie, I'm delighted to have you here today for Song of the Soul. Oh, it's a pleasure to be with you, Mark. I really wish you were with me, or maybe I wish you were here, and maybe I was in Hawaii where you are. (laughs) Don't you wish you were in Wisconsin right now at this point? Well, you know, I'll tell you something. You know, I love the Midwest, and I would opt to switch places with you, but you'd have to wear a hard hat here because they're cutting coconuts off the trees. (laughs) It sounds dangerous. Much safer here where the soft snow is the only thing that's going to fall on your head. Did the fact of of living in L.A., did that change your music? Not at all. I moved to L.A. when I joined Sergio Mendez's group, Brazil 66, so I was really immersed in learning how to sing in Portuguese phonetically and learning these amazingly complicated and rich melodies. So I was really a student at that time when I moved to L.A. of the music that I would be singing, well, for the rest of my life. So it didn't really matter to me. I'd always wanted to record an album in New York to see if that energy would change my approach with singing, but it really doesn't. It doesn't do that to me. How often do you get back to the Midwest, to Chicago or the area? My husband and I, Herb Alpert and I, have been touring for about seven years and now, and so we've been back and forth all over the country during that time. So there isn't really a, a certain time frame that we're that we go to the midwest but i tried to get back there and it's difficult for me to be in chicago it isn't an easy transition because there's so many triggers emotional triggers in the city for me you know that i could find myself just kind of burst out crying at times just because i saw a a street sign and because it means something to me. So it is an emotional, I have to kind of prepare myself that I'm going to Chicago. 
Of course, I did have some hint of this. I did realize that Chicago was emotional for you because of your recent book, Emotional Memoirs and Short Stories. Emotional seems to be a very key word for you. If a, a street sign can bring you to tears, I suppose it's pretty powerful current in your life. Well, you know, when I was in Chicago, when I was writing Mr. Belmont, for example, is one of the stories in the book, and this was about an encounter at Belmont Station. And every morning I would go there and I would stop at Belmont Station to change trains and there would be this man sitting on the bench. And so I wrote this romantic story about this man and this encounter. It never happened to me, but I fantasized about that. When my husband and I were in Chicago for a wedding, we happened to be driving down Belmont Avenue and I looked up at the L station and I saw Belmont and I started crying. <laughs> Well, the stories in Emotional Memoirs are quite touching in many ways. It's a mixture of fact and fiction, as I understand. I mean, some of it's memoir, and some of it, I mean, people have different names. They're, they're not called Lonnie. So how much of it's true memoir? How much of it is imaginary? Well, there are ten short stories, and seven of them are fiction, and three of them are nonfiction. But they're all connected by the prose that is in the book that weaves through the book before each short story and that is the memoir part and all of those pages are called emotional memoirs we also have you here today because music has been your thing for ages you are a writer i think that must be secondary to your beautiful voice and the music that you've been making for decades now what is that mix historically in your life how much of its writing how much of its singing and what is that currently well, I've always written. I've always written poetry. I've always written my impressions. When I had joined Brazil 66, I you know, went on the road pen in hand, and Sergio would always come up to me and say, what, what are you writing about? What, what, what is this? And so uh, after a while, I would show him some of the poetry that I was writing, and, and he asked me if, I was, if he thought I was capable of writing some English lyrics to Brazilian songs that we were recording and performing. And so I started, you know, I became a lyricist and wrote many of the songs that we recorded. But I've always written, and I have always been a singer. You know, I've just always in my room in Chicago where I grew up. I was always singing in my room. I didn't need an audience. I just wanted to sing alone. I, no one knew I sang I was like a closet singer, and uh, I had very little confidence, so I couldn't really see myself knocking on someone's door and saying, you know, would you listen to me sing, and I couldn't do that. So I just thought I would sing in my room, and that's how I would express myself. And through writing, I've always expressed myself. And this book, actually, Emotional Memoirs and Short Stories, I was really kind of a closet writer with it because over a period of 30 years I've been writing short stories and I was just putting them in my drawer when they were finished. You know, I really wasn't planning on doing anything with them until about a year and a half ago a friend of mine got sick and she was recovering from surgery and she was just so frustrated. She didn't know what to do with herself, so I thought I would give her a story that I wrote called Inland about me being sick. She was so encouraging, I ended up giving her all the stories that I had written, and she said, you know, I think you have a book here. And so I was encouraged by her, and I started, you know, working on a book. 
And so we've got the book, Emotional Memoirs and Short Stories, but we also have a wide range of music that you've done over the decades. Why don't you get us started with your Song of the Soul? What's the first song you'd like to share? Well, I think Waters of March by Antonio Carlos Jobim is a very special song because it's such a beautifully poetic, deep lyric about life. I had read it on the back of an album, and it just moved me to tears. And so I decided I wanted to record it in a way that no one else, or that I hadn't heard anyone else record it before, which would really feature this profound and beautiful lyric. It's from her CD, Brazil Nativo. It's by Antonio Carlos Jobim. A stick, a stone, it's the end of the road. It's the rest of a stump. It's a little alone. It's a sliver of glass. It is life. It's the sun. It is night. It is death. It's a trap. It's a gun. It's the end of all strain, the joy. 
your parents, did they really uh, <laughs> find this to be a good thing, or did, didn't they try and yank her chain and put you back in the house? Oh, definitely. They did not like her at all. I babysat for her son, but they knew that I was being influenced by her, and uh, no, they did not like her, but I loved her. She was my friend. I, I felt that she was my friend, and I didn't feel that she was this older woman, because she definitely was. She was 24 years old, and I was 12. You know, I would watch her. She was like a role model to me, and she was more like a beatnik. You know, that's how I looked at her. Like, she just was, she was so cool, and so she had a very, very big influence on me, and she had a fantastic jazz collection. So I would play jazz all the time. I learned so many songs from those albums. And she was one of the only people that I actually would sing in front of. You know, she would beg me to sing uh, Judy Garland at Carnegie Hall on that album from The Man That Got Away, and I would stand in the middle of her living room and sing that song for her. And she would just thrill to it. You know, it just it made me feel so... It made me feel special. That was not a feeling that I was used to. Also, the one thing about having her next door, it was some place for me to go to when things were bad in my, in my apartment. I had a refuge. I had a place to go. I had like a demilitarized zone where I could go there and just wait until things calmed down. So that was very important to me. Demilitarized zone, that's a important picture of home <laughs> or that the fact that you needed one yeah your neighbor she was uh smoking and they were doing drugs and all kinds of things there that i suppose were militarized in their own way for you how much did you cotton to that way of life versus whatever was at home did your parents not approve of singing uh the drinking the drugs whatever that kind of stuff well i wasn't doing any drugs and neither was she she happened to meet this man that she did not know at the time was a drug addict until she started having an affair with him. And I know that it sounds like it was such a bad influence for a young girl to be around junkies, you know, that were using drugs in, in, in the kitchen where, where she was baby, you know, well, well she, I wasn't babysitting at the time that these young men were shooting drugs. Her son had gone to New York to be with his father, so I was just a friend to her at that time. But I found it very exciting. I found it very, um, it matched the music, you know. I mean, it just did. In, in those times, it was exciting for me, and I, I never felt quite in I felt kind of out of the box socially and so I felt very comfortable being with people that were out of the box as well until her lover died that was the real turning point that was a devastating loss for her and for me because I'd never seen love in action and so this was something that I was witness to. I was witness to two people who loved each other, and it was romantic, and it had such a color to it. And when he passed away, it was just uh, such a jolt. And I'm sure that on some level that it, it made me realize that if I were thinking about using drugs, that went up in smoke because it was just so devastating to see a 22-year-old young man Beautiful young man, dead from overdosing on drugs. 
It is pretty frightening. But at least you had the introduction to the romance and the powerful of it. That, again, that pervades your music. Why don't you give us another song? And if we don't find romance in there, my name's not Mark Helps Me, and your name's not Lanny Hall Alpert. <laughs> well, I think that I Feel You is a beautiful song written by Bill Cantos, who is our keyboard player, and he helps arrange some of our songs as well on the road and he wrote this beautiful song I Feel You and Herb plays on the end of it in a haunting way I hope you like it Just another afternoon On the sidewalks of London All the gray and rainy days Run together Hidden in the streets of stone Suddenly, I'm not alone I feel you I feel you Every time I think I've lost you It seems like you find me Blowing through me like the winds of December that are not romantic. I mean, you're here today for Song of the Soul, so 
you're touching very close to your center. Romance is certainly there, your feelings, your emotional memoir, your book. How much of your song is not about love, romance, that kind of thing? I really choose songs that are about love. I think that's why I sing. You know, I I choose songs that are about longing and connection and romance and deeper feelings. For a while, when I was much younger, I got into a little bit of folk rock and a little bit of protest songs. But it really wasn't me. It, it wasn't me. I feel like I'm in my element when I'm singing about feelings for someone else. And does that include all the feelings, including the anger and the betrayal or the, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all of that? Yeah. I mean, actually, one of the songs that I sent to you is a song called Meant to Be. And I wrote that for Herb. I wrote that one for Herb. And it, it was written by Yvonne Leans, and, and I wrote the English lyric to it. It's about um, it's about the, the power of love and what it can carry you through. Part of that is madness, and the main theme of, in the song is all I need beside me is you. Yeah, I mean, it definitely includes the darker sides as well. And the song is Saudades de Casa, or in English, Meant to Be, by Lonnie Hall Albert. the wind in all its fury and so much more I can wander through the forest and I'll stumble in the darkness all I need is you beside me my love
Valdades de Casa, something of of the house. That that isn't exactly meant to be. You wrote words in English. Did you try and echo what was in Portuguese? I guess not at all. <laughs> Not at all, no. When I write lyrics, for me, I feel as if the melody is writing itself, and I'm just the messenger, you know, I'm just, my hand is just moving on the page, and that's what the melody was saying to me. So I've never written a Brazilian song from Portuguese to English as a direct translation. I've never done that. Harder to do if you don't know Portuguese, I suppose. Yeah. (laughs) So, Sergio and then your husband, Herb, do they speak Spanish, Portuguese, other languages? Well, Sergio's first language is Portuguese. So Sergio is fluent. Actually, Sergio is fluent in Portuguese, French, Italian. He speaks Japanese. He's uh, fluent in English, of course. He's a world traveler, and he likes to be able to communicate when he's in these places. And so he and his wife, Gracinha Leporazzi, she also speaks all those languages. My husband has been studying Spanish for as long as I've known him. <laughs> and he's still studying. And we're, you know, we kind of grope through it and stumble through it, but I think that we're more right-brained people. And I think that you learn a language more on your left side. So I think that it's easier for us to stay with the music. Did he want to learn Spanish? Did Herb want to learn Spanish? Because he had to live up to the name. I mean, the band, Herb Alpert and the Tijuana <laughs> Brass. <I> mean, <laughs> no, he did not, though. Because in L.A., it's almost like Spanish is the, is the second language there. So it, it really comes in handy for you to be able to speak Spanish. And so we tried to speak Spanish. I mean, you know, we can speak a little bit, but not really. So music, when were you with Sergio Mendes in Brazil 66? And when were you with Herb Alpert? And uh, does maybe that jumps back and forth for all I know. Or, how, or have you been solo, too? Yes, I have been solo. I was with Sergio Mendes in Brazil 66 from 1966 to 1971. I was the lead singer with his group. Six months after I joined Brazil 66, we auditioned for A&M Records, which was owned by Herb Alpert and Jerry Moss. And so they came to our audition, and we got the contract to record for A&M Records, and we also got the job to be the opening act for Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass, which was the biggest act in the world at the time. And so we went from playing, you know, to 100 people maybe in nightclubs to playing for 20,000 people. And in a matter of one night, it changed completely. And we got all that exposure from performing as the opening act for the Tijuana Brass. And so when we made an album, it was a hit album, and Herb Alpert produced that album and a number of albums for Brazil 66. So Herb and I were friends for quite a while before we fell in love. When we fell in love, I didn't see how I could travel 11 months out of the year and be in a relationship. So I quit the group because I was in love with Herb, and I wanted to know if if this was going to work or not. And then after I quit Brazil 66, about a year later, 
I started recording as a solo artist, and I recorded about 12 albums as a solo artist. And Herb produced some of those albums. And then I, while I was singing as a solo artist, I did the James Bond theme for Never Say Never Again. And then I went into a whole Latin format in my career that I recorded about four albums in Spanish. I won a Grammy Award for one of them. And then I got sick, and I didn't sing for a while. That's in the book. I, that's in a story called Inland. I didn't record or sing for a good 10 years, probably. And now my husband and I are decided that we wanted to, if we were going to record any more songs, that we wanted to do it together, and we wanted to perform together and see if we could experience that because we didn't experience it so much when, when, when we were doing it in, when we were younger. And so we've been on the road now for about seven years, and we're having a wonderful time. We're on our third album, which is Stepping Out, and so we're having a great time. Well, your music is a great time, and of course, mm-hmm. it's, it's heartstrings everywhere. Give us another one for your Song of the Soul, Lonnie. Well, I have to say that Bill Evans with Symphony Orchestra, with Klaus Ogerman conducting and doing the arrangements, that album has been a very spiritual album to me. It lifts me, and I've played it at very low points in my life, and it has given me a lot of strength. And so Prelude by Bill Evans, which was written by Scriabin, it is a classical piece that was played by the great Bill Evans jazz pianist. This beautiful song was also arranged by Klaus Ogerman.
Griabin, here performed by the Bill Evans Trio with Symphony Orchestra. Talk about Mm. uh, mixing a lot of different music in there. I I had the feeling in that song, part of it felt very symphonic, which you hear if you go to the symphony, but some of it felt pop music, so it's kind of mixing these things in there. You said way back you did a little kind of a folk rock protest type music that wasn't quite your thing your influences of your neighbor was jazz and those those cool beatniks there there must be the entire range of music which is native to your heart does that include opera for instance or country or are those not native for Lonnie Hall not really no I think that Brazilian music is definitely a part of my uh, my musical landscape at least I think it all starts with jazz. I mean, Bill Evans with Symphony Orchestra is really a jazz album, and it kind of mixes the classical and the jazz together through the great Klaus Ogerman's vision. I feel that way about Brazilian music as well. I, I, I feel Brazilian music mixes the African, the, the primitive music with the missionaries when they went to Brazil. They brought these Gregorian chants there were these classical influences, and so this merging of kind of holy and earth at the same time, that really works for me. I think it's so beautiful. I've always loved the jazz influence on pop music. I mean, Laura Nero, the great Laura Nero, she was so experimental with her melodies and her chord changes, and she used a lot of jazz influences And she wrote such beautiful, beautiful songs. And one of them is The Man Who Sends Me Home, that in its simplicity, it is so touching. Those are the kind of songs I love. The Man Who Sends Me Home. There's a man who loves me. see 
One of the things I haven't found in these songs is a lot of talk about God or spirit or afterlife or all those other things that so often get connected with someone's spirituality. And that doesn't have to be there from my point of view at all. But what was your background? Where did you go from to? If you're going down to Mexico and Brazil, isn't everyone Catholic? Yeah, pretty much. But I'm not really that aware when I'm traveling of people's religious beliefs. It, it, I find it very personal, you know, to everybody. Whatever can connect you to something greater than yourself, I think is, uh, you know, that's who is anyone to say, you know, what you should believe in. So I don't really follow any clear religion, but I, I certainly read a lot of um, American Buddhists for some reason. <laughs> I, I read a lot of American Buddhists, and I like the perspective that I get from that, which is a, a bigger perspective. of the, I see a bigger picture, and I like living in that bigger picture because it, it, it includes everything, and that includes everything I can't see and everything I don't know. So I feel good in that kind of an element. But as far as spirituality goes, I feel that creativity is the voice of the soul. And so I feel that writing and making music, arranging, performing, it doesn't matter who the audience is. It doesn't matter if they're Catholics or if they're Buddhists or whatever they are. It has no meaning at that moment because everyone is in this moment of music, this moment of art, and it lifts everyone to a higher level. And that's where I like to live. And that's what I gravitate toward, and that's where I, I like to be. Today we're visiting with Lonnie Hall. Besides the dozens of recordings she has out there, she has a book recently released, Emotional Memoirs and Short Stories. You'll find some delightful and deep and stories that will bring tears to your eyes in that book. And you mentioned in the book, some of the stories in the book are actually memoir. They're actually events from your life. And the last one in the book is about breast implants. And this caught my attention in part because I read Jane Fonda's biography several years ago where she talked about her own experience of having breast implants and then having them removed. Could you say a little bit about what that experience was like for you? And then people should just go get emotional memoirs and read the story so you can make it the full scoop. Well, one of the reasons that it was uh, the last story in the book is because a lot of the women in these stories that I had written are trying to find their own voice. They're trying to find their own truth. What they're doing in their lives that they've always done isn't working for them anymore, and they're afraid, and they don't know where they're going, and they don't know how to get there. And so this last story that's called Inland is about me finding my voice. Here's a character that found her voice, and she had to go through the darkness of illness in order to find it. I got breast implants and I uh, didn't really think too much about it. It was a mindless decision on my part. About a year after I got them, I started getting sick. And it turned out that I had, a, I had something called Epstein-Barr virus. It's also kind of tagged uh, as a uh, chronic fatigue syndrome. And doctors didn't know what 
to do with that. I mean, they, you know, they thought of IV antibiotics or B12 shots. I mean, they really didn't know what to do. And I just kept going from doctor to doctor to doctor. And then since they couldn't help me, I, I started going to alternative doctors, homeopaths, acupuncturists, people that dealt with the magnetic fields in your body, nutritionists and osteopaths, a lot of different modalities. And I, I didn't know what was making me sick until this news started coming out that breast implants were starting to affect women and creating autoimmune problems. I called my doctor and I said, what is this? And, and he said, oh, it's a hysterical women. They don't know what they're talking about. And so I said, all right. He said, well, there's going to be a moratorium, and they're going to find out all this information. We'll talk about it when that's in three months. When that's, And finally, I was washing the dishes one night, and I turned around. I, somebody was talking about autoimmune dysfunction. And when I turned around and looked at the television set, there was a breast implant sitting on a desk. And they were saying, these implants, they're questioning if these implants are causing these problems in women. And I called my doctor and I said, I don't even care what they find out. I want this out of me. I don't want them in me anymore. And so I had them removed and I felt a lot better. I started feeling a lot better and I, I, I had to heal. I was sick for many years and I started feeling better. It really stamped, fully stamped how important it was for me to ask myself, and tap into my own wisdom as a human being, as a woman, as an artist. People, if you want to hear the full story on that, read the story, the memoir about it, in Emotional Memoirs and Short Stories by Lonnie Hall Albert. Lonnie, we're coming to the end of our time together. I'd like to share one more song. How would you like to conclude your song of the soul? Well, this is a beautiful song written by Paul Simon called For Emily, Wherever I, I May Find, and I wrote him because I'm singing it about him. I sang this song a cappella. I, I decided I, I thought it was such a beautiful melody and the images are so lonely. I just felt that it would be an interesting way to do the song. So this is Wherever I May Find Him. And again, we've been speaking today with Lonnie Hall Albert. Her recent book is Emotional Memoirs and Short Stories, and you'll find all kinds of CDs out there by her. You'll also find her via her website, LonnieHall.com. You can get it, of course, via NordenSpiritRadio.org. Lonnie, it was just very moving to read the stories in your book, both the ones that were specifically, truthfully you and those that you lived out, I think, in your imagination. And, of course, you've been a voice of beauty over so many decades. I thank you for sharing that music with the world and for joining me today for Song of the Soul. Oh, it's been such a pleasure, Mark. Thank you so much for having me. We conclude Lonnie's Song of the Soul with Wherever I May Find Him. We'll see you next week for Song of the Soul. What a dream I had Pressed in organdy Clothed in crinoline Of smoky burgundy Softer than the rain I wandered empty streets Down past the shop displays I heard cathedral bells 
tripping down the alleyways as I walked on. And when you ran to me, my cheeks flushed with the night. We walked on frosted fields of juniper and lamplight. You held my hand And when I awoke And felt you warm and near I kissed your honey hair With my grateful tears The theme music for Song of the Soul is by Chris Williamson, and it's called Song of the Soul. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and this is a Northern Spirit Radio production. You can listen to this program again, track down the list of songs included, and a whole lot more on my website, northernspiritradio.org. And I invite you to share your Song of the Soul with my listeners. Just contact me via my website. And please, join me weekly for Song of the Soul. You can be happy Let in the light It will heal you And you can feel you And sing out a song